The Bible is not for children. Amen. Neither is it for the faint in heart. Thank you, praise God, for the privilege to experience God's holy word. Give an honor to Pastor Mary, who I'm convinced is simply avoiding me. <laughs> and she wasn't here the last time either, I don't know. You <laughs> tell her I said it, and she knows where to find me. <laughs> Give an honor to Pastor Paul and to the entourage from Maple Avenue and all you students at Calvin College. There is a word from the Lord. And so let us pray one more time. Great word of life, you've opened yourself up to us. And now let us look, and when we look, let us see, and when we see, let us hear, and when we hear, let our hearts be transformed. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer, amen. My daddy always said, there are three sides to every story. My side, your side, and the truth. <laughs> you know what that means? My side, yeah, how I felt about it, what I thought about it, what I meant, and kind of how I went about it, what I intended, and how it affected me. Your side, you know what I'm talking about. Your side, the thing that you meant, and what you did, and what you said, and what you saw, when you saw what you saw, my side, your side, and then, of course, there's what really happened, what actually happened with objectivity without bias, the truth. Three sides to every story, and there are at least three sides to this story, our side. How many times have we read this story? How many times have we watched this on movies or heard sermons about it? There might be a few of us, I admit, who are learning and hearing about it for the first time, but for most of us who've been in church for a great portion of our lives, we would say that this story is fairly familiar to us. And we have already come to draw our own conclusions, or what my daddy would call our side. First of all, on our side, we see there's a calf made of gold, and we know that gold is a precious metal with which we make rings and necklaces and charms. If something is made of gold, we assume that if it has 14, 18, or 24K on it, it must be valuable. And if it turns your neck green, it is not. <laughs> so this calf must be an expensive calf. It's easy for us to determine the harm in this demonstration in scripture here. Because, you know, we don't typically find ourselves fashioning our gold into animals and camels and calves. We don't typically bow down or pay respect to golden statues, something we can't see, something we can't hear, something that can't even save. That's from our side, see? From our side, we see also an altar in front of an idol. From our side, we see a proclamation tomorrow? After we have kissed the feet of a statue tomorrow, after we have offered sacrifices tomorrow, after we participated in drunken sexual acts and worship of this golden calf tomorrow, we will have a festival to the Lord. There's an altar in front of an idol, and we can see that from even our side. And we see a God who is angry. We don't like the image of an angry God. Oh, we like the God who forgives, who covers, 
who laughs and who loves like we want to be loved. But here is God who is angry, declaring, let my anger burn hot against them that I may consume them. God is angry and we can see that from our side. And then there's their side. Their side, the people's side. And they would probably tell you, what did you want us to do? I mean, come on now, we were a desperate people. Driven by the circumstances of the day to take matters into our own hands. I mean, Moses was gone and no one knew when or if he would ever return. Moses was the one who would talk to God. Moses was the one who would go before us to declare unto us exactly what God would have us to do or to say, don't be so hard on us, just listen to our side. In Egypt, they say there were people um, and things that, 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 that would do the bidding for the gods down there in Egypt. And that's what Moses did for us. But Moses had taken so long and we were convinced that he was never coming back. And there was clearly no one among us to tell us what God wanted. So we decided that we will encourage the priests to make something that will replace Moses which could go before us. And then after we had fashioned it all together, we came to the conclusion that maybe this wouldn't replace Moses. Maybe this actually is the God who brought us out of Egypt. I'm talking about their story, you see. And among the they certainly is Moses as well. He's one of the they, but his, his side is a bit different. Moses, in his vision, he sees a bush and a pharaoh and a red sea and a law and a reveling people. He had met God on the mountain one day, you know, and God told him to go down to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, yes, Pharaoh, the man in whose house he had been raised, yes, Pharaoh, the man who was building his entire empire on the backs of Hebrews and other slaves, go down and tell him to let my people go. And Moses had done what God asked and through plagues and peril led the people of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea, which God parted with Moses' hand. In the wilderness, Moses had been used to provide food and water for the people as they murmured against God. But today, today topped it all. As he came off the mountain, Moses saw a reveling people dancing. You saw them dancing and carousing. That was carousing too and cavorting around the feet of a golden idol. And he took on the very pathos of God whom Moses had just begged not to destroy the people. But they had taken the gold, the gold they had brought up from Egypt. The gold that they had obtained from the Egyptians according to the favor that God had given them. They took the gold that God had intended to use and had given Moses instructions to fashion into an altar for the one true living God. They had taken the gold and they had fashioned it into something that would violate their commitment. Moses was disturbed for he himself had sprinkled the blood of consecration upon this very people and they had risen themselves up and declared, yes, we will do what the Lord says we shall do. We shall have no other gods. We shall make no graven images. But today, Moses walked into a scene of those same folk desecrating all that had been made holy. And he was going to see to it that they would drink every single gold-laden drop 
of their idolatry. That's how he saw it over on Moses' side. Moses was a they, so it's our story and it's their story, the people and Moses, and then it's God's side. Yes, God's side, which is the right side. God, who had chosen this very people for himself in the seed of Abraham. This was God's beloved people. Have no other God before me was an invitation to a monogamous love affair. These commandments were a how to love God back instruction manual. Don't you wish all of our relationships came with such? This is how to love God, but God's side is the true side. And this, friends, is a stiff-necked people. Now, I know in our demonstration, we didn't hear the wonderful term stiff-necked people, but perhaps it will help us. I know it helped me because I had to reflect and remember how when I was in seventh grade, I was hit by a car, which resulted in my having to wear a neck brace for the course of four to five months. Now, what I remember about wearing a neck brace is it made me function as though I was stiff-necked. I remember that I, I, I couldn't move to the left or to the right unless my entire body moved with me. I couldn't look to one side unless my chest and my torso and my knees and my legs went too. I couldn't go to the other side without the same functioning. That's what it was to be stiff-necked. And this people who live, here in the wilderness were a people who lived as though their neck was braced all the time. When God had brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, they were turned toward God. With their lips, they sang to God. With their hearts, they worshiped God. With their feet, they danced before God. But when there was no food in the wilderness, they did not hesitate to turn their lips of doubt, their heart to fear, their feet to stray from God until with manna from heaven they were convinced to turn back. Then when water was too bitter to drink, they turned away again and again and a branch in the water made the water sweet and back they turned. This is a stick-necked people. And when their heads turned, their hearts And so does their whole body turn to defend, to support, and to maintain their side. But I want you to know that there's a question lingering in the air, and that is this. Who's on the Lord's side? Who is on the Lord's side? That's what Moses wanted to know, and that's the compelling question of the hour. Who is on the Lord's side? For truly we All of us are all like David, born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We are all children of Adam and as such naturally inclined with a stiff neck that faces a direction that is opposed to God. We are like the children of Israel who are prone to wander, aren't we? Don't we feel it? Prone to leave the God we say we love? We are a stiff-necked people. But God's 
side. If we are to be on God's side, it requires a turning of the neck. And in the case of Israel, remember, God had met the people on the mountain to teach them how to turn their neck, how to turn away from sin, how to turn away from opposing God. But when God spoke to the people from the mountain, the experience was too terrible for them. They begged Moses, do not let God speak to us. Please let God speak to you and we will listen when we get to the point. When we can't hear from God ourselves, when we can't listen to God ourselves, when God becomes too complicated and too awesome and too mysterious for us to turn to God and we have to turn to another, then we turn our necks toward idolatry. Mm -hmm. When we decide that I can't pray for myself, I, I can't hear from God for myself, I can't understand the word for myself, let me place my goal in the offering place so the pastor can pray. Let me render my bracelets at the Christian bookstore so the scholars can study for me. Let them turn their faces to God. I'll turn my face to them, to my mentor, to my leader, to my friend. Nothing wrong with them, but when I can't pray, I can't seek, I can't hear God, then I, we turn our face to idolatry. And it all started way back then with a lack of food and clean water. That's what caused them to turn away from God. And, and now it was the majesty and the mystery of God. It was too much, and it caused them to turn away again. So now with heads turned and necks stiff, so they can't see God and they can't hear God, they still committed themselves to that which is impossible, and that is to follow the path of God's leading. The people's heads were still turned toward Egypt, still turned toward captivity, still turned toward unbelief, stiff-necked toward idolatry. And I want to know, what do you call it? If not that, what do you call it? When someone takes the gifts God gives and uses it for their own bidding. What do you call it when our Musical gifts become more of a money maker than a disciple maker. What do you call it when our gift for gab gets high offices but doesn't cause anyone to look to the hills from whence cometh their help? What do we call it when our jobs and our trust funds bling, glitter with the newest, the biggest, the greatest quality? But the minute we risk losing it, we're ready to take our own lives. The second that God asks us to give it all away, we, like the young rich ruler, drop our heads and weep and walk away declaring, this is too tough for me. What do we call it? We might call it being on the winning side, on the successful side, on the right side. But since it's not the Lord's side, it is idolatry. Who is on the Lord's side? What do you call it when you build an altar in front of an idol? They sat down and they ate and they drank and they rose up to revel. And tomorrow, Aaron pronounced, we will have a festival for the Lord as he built an altar in front of an idol. Today, we worship the idol. Tomorrow, we celebrate the Lord. Today, we worship the idol. Tomorrow, we celebrate the Lord. And it depends on where you stand. If you stand in one place, it may look like the altar is in front of the idol. If you stand in another place, you realize that the idol is front of, in front of the altar. But it doesn't matter, for the commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. Who's on the Lord's side? Who's willing to admit what our modern idols are? 
You know, most of us don't build statues or melt out jewelry to make calves, but what are our idols? What are the things we bow, we elevate? What goes before us to secure our future? What do we place on the altar in front of our idols? Are our bodies idols? We do with them what we please. Consumed with how they look, how we carry them, what we put in them and on them. Or maybe not concerned in the least. The marathons and the triathlons that build endurance don't seem to help us stay awake to fast and to pray. Do our own bodies become idols that take all the resources that God has given us to glorify him and use them to glorify ourselves? Our bodies that won't lay prostrate before the Lord in worship? Our bodies that won't tarry in silence or refrain from sexual immorality? Are they idols in front of which we adorn with a cross necklace or a tattoo scripture text? Are our stiff necks turned toward our bodies? Because being not confused, we are a stiff necked people. Is our time an idol? Out of 168 hours, we render 166 hours in worship to Father Time. We'll stay up all night to get good grades. We'll work 12 hours a, a day because the boss said so. We'll sleep in, sleep over, and take a nap if we want to with no regards for time until Sunday. Already, some of you have been looking at your watch to see how long we've been here. Until Sunday, when we build an altar in front of our idol of time, and we decide that I will give this as a festival to the Lord, these few moments, these few hours, but don't let it spill over and interrupt game time, or lunch time, or study time, or face time. Our face is turned toward the temple of time, for we are a stiff-necked people. I wonder, is comfort our idol? Do we offer burnt offerings of privilege, elitism, separation, and apartheid in our clubs, in our schools, in our churches, in our communities? While building an altar of outreach and programs, dropping off clothes we no longer want to wear, soliciting advice to those who our golden idol would never let us share our lives with, promising that someday we will offer as a festival unto the Lord. But today, I'm going to do what's popular, what I'm used to, what I'm comfortable with. I'm wondering, is comfort our idol? Maybe it's not our bodies, and maybe it's not time, and maybe it's not comfort, but whatever it is, we must not kid ourselves. We are stiff-necked people, and our face is directed toward the golden calf of idolatry all the day long. And we who are honest admit that we have tried to walk in a way that conflicts with the direction of our face. And the Lord is hot with anger and burning with wrath toward us. And the Lord is declaring in a loud voice, I wonder, can you hear him? Go down at once. Go down at once. Go down at once, declares the Lord. But this time he declares it unto Jesus. Go down at once to see about my people, for I am not sending you into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through you might be saved. Jesus, born of a virgin, to turn our faces back to God. Jesus, baptized in the Jordan, to turn our faces toward God. Jesus, open blind eyes, unstop deaf ears, feed the hungry, and proclaim lost sinners 
to turn our faith to God. Jesus offers us to drink, not of the ground up remains of our idolatry, but of the new covenant in his blood, which is a sharing, a participation in the death of Christ. We are a stiff-necked people. Like the Apostle Paul. But you know, when he turned his face toward Jesus on that road to Damascus, his heart and his legs followed and he was stiff-necked enough to never turn back. We are stiff-necked people like James, the brother of Jesus, who would not walk with his brother as a disciple when he was on earth. But when his neck turned to believe that Jesus Christ crucified and alive is indeed Lord, he was a martyr for the gospel. We are stiff-necked people. Who are given a chance and a choice. We can sit where we are and criticize those who bow to the idol in the wilderness, ignoring our own idolatry because that's our side. And we can take the people's side and justify idolatry based on culture and experience and level of comfort and tradition, or we can turn our faces toward God to see the heart of God so that our heart will change and our walk will change and our lives will become a sweet-smelling sacrifice on the altar which has no other God beside it. Hmm. How about you? What about you? Who's, who's on the Lord's side? Let's pray. Holy God, we thank and praise you for the gift of your word, for the visitation of your spirit, for the conviction of your power, and for the promise of the blessed hope of peace. Will you find our hearts to be good soil and take root that we might bear fruit that will last. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen.